0: to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Sunday, January 29th. I'm your do- reader, Dagna. Our mini-editorial today is written by James Lally of Sioux City, and James writes, The opponents of school choice cite economics and loss of revenue for their opposition. At the heart of their opposition is anti-Catholicism. As a dean of Yale's Divinity School wrote some years ago, The only acceptable prejudice left in the United States is to be anti-Catholic. Again, this was written by James Lally of Sioux City. Now, an overview of the five-day forecast. Today is going to be cold, uh, with a high of 3 and a low of minus 8. Monday will also be cold, but not quite as bad. There will be times of clouds and sun, uh, with a high of 6 and a low of minus 4. Tuesday is not as cold and has plenty of sun with a high of 20 and a low of 1. Wednesday will be plenty of sunshine with a high of 22 and a low of 0. And Thursday will be cold with a high of 20 and a low of 4. Our top story concerns the weather. Siouxland hit with third bout of winter weather in less than 30 days, more than a foot, snow, a foot of snow total for the month. Siouxland residents could not escape January without one more round of winter weather. Late Friday night into Saturday, the tri-state area got hit with its third bout of snow in the first month of the new year. In the Sioux City metro area, the reported snowfall through 10 a.m. Saturday totaled about four and a half inches, which brought the figure for the month to more than one foot of white powder. Vermilion and Yankton, South Dakota, had some of the highest totals for Siouxland, with five inches respectively, according to the National Weather Service Sioux Falls meteorologist Samantha Trelinger. Reports for parts of Nebraska, including Concord and Hubbard, were seven inches or more. As you move closer to I-90, we ended up having like one or two inches less than what we were forecasting, Trellinger said. The band just tightened up a little bit further south than we were expecting. Trellinger said three separate bouts of winter weather isn't highly uncommon for January, but that it seems that way given recent history. The past couple of winters we have not had as active of a January, she said, but it's been a very active January this year. The previous winter storm, which hit Siouxland from Wednesday, January 18th, into Thursday, January 19th, produced about 7.4 inches for Sioux City and 8-plus inches in places such as Jackson, Nebraska. A storm on Tuesday, January third, brought freezing rain and about two inches of snow to Sioux City, as well as more than four inches around Spencer and Spirit Lake. Despite snowfall being above four inches in the metro, Sioux City Police Sergeant Tyler Hartwell said accidents had been minimal through noon on Saturday. If this was the middle of the week, it would be crazy right now, Hartwell said. But being a Saturday, I think people really exercise good judgment to stay home if you don't need to go out. According to Hartwell, the department had five reported accidents, if that, throughout the morning, and most of them were low-impact. Three cars did get hit in a parking lot by a snowplow clearing snow. Going into February, Trellinger said the week should be mostly dry, but that Siouxlanders will have to reckon with a cool-down. We could have wind chills in the Sioux City area in the negative 20s to the negative teens, at least through Tuesday, and then we start warming up a bit, Trellinger said. By the end of the week, she said temperatures could climb to the mid-20s or even the low-30s. The next headline is Demo of Swift Building Among Issues Discussed at CIP Budget Session. After completing demolition of the old YMCA, city staff are recommending taking down a building that once housed a turkey plant in the former stockyards. The SWIFT building is constantly being vandalized and constantly has vagrants in it. Daniel Bullock, the city code's enforcement manager, told the city council during a Capital Improvement Program, or CIP, budget hearing on Saturday. It's also a big play hangout for kids. It's very unsafe. Open elevators, structures and things like that, Bullock said of the building which he noted has a lot of graffiti on it and is located across from Home Depot. According to Bullock, a man from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, purchased the building a couple of years ago. When he first took possession of the building, Bullock described the man as very cooperative. He was going to do something with it right away. Every time I made a phone call, he was down the next day to secure the building and make sure it was safe again, Bullock said. Since the last probably 18 months, he's kind of non-existent. Bullock described the structure as very, very sound. The proposed CIP has $400,000 allocated annually for blight removal from f- fiscal year 2428. It will take at minimum an equal amount as what the Y is taking, if not more, to do that, Bullock said. The Y is probably right at $700,000 to 750000 for the remaining portion of that. The $66.1 million proposed CIP is a decrease from the current budget's year $99.9 million capital budget. Additionally, the $66.1 million is the first year of the proposed five-year CIP, which totals $468.9 million over fiscal years 24 to 28, and is funded with both city and non-city resources. Non-city resources include grants and donations received from outside agencies. The total city resources for the proposed uh, fiscal year 24 CIP budget is $57,999,075, as an increase of roughly 6% from the approved FY23 CIP. The Parks and Recreation Department is requesting $450,000 for stadium seat replacement at Lewis and Clark Park and 175000 for caulking under seats. Caulking under those seats is not going to make any difference. You're going to have to find an epoxy that you can put in those holes, and that's not 175000 bucks worth, um, Mayor Bob Scott said. Last September, the City Council, in a split decision, voted against a resolution adopting plans, specifications, form of contract, and estimated costs for the replacement of 2,300 more plastic seats at the park. Before that 2022 vote, Sioux City Parks and Recreation Director Matt Salvatore told the Council that the city budgeted around $135,000 to cover the replacement of 770 seats, which are slated to be installed this spring. Salvatore told the council on Saturday that the original sets of seats are shipping on May 9th. The council is expected to further discuss the matter at a wrap-up budget session slated for February. And our next front page story has the headline of Reynolds Pitch's Wide-Ranging Health Care Bill. Iowa Governor Jim Reynolds has proposed a sprawling bill dedicated to health care that includes a focus on strengthening rural health care and providing care to expecting and new parents. Among the nearly dozen divisions of the bill are provisions to creating an OBGYN fellowship program, allowing pharmacists to dispense birth control without a prescription, putting funding towards rural health care systems and apprenticeships, and giving paid parental leave to state employees. Reynolds, a Republican, announced the plan in her condition of the state address on January 10th, saying it would bolster Iowa's health care system. To support our families, we need a strong health care system in every part of the state, Reynolds said on January 10th. While our health care system is in the top 10 nationally, we still face challenges, especially in rural Iowa. Republican House Speaker Pat Grassley of New Hartford said House Republicans have interest in providing maternal care and other aspects of the bill, but he hasn't determined the party's support on every provision in, in the bill. There is some interest to make sure we provide support when it comes to maternal health and other things, Grassley told reporters on Thursday. I have not had the time to sit down and meet with my members. Democrats, too, said they had not had time to look over the specifics of Reynolds' bill on Thursday. If there's a health care bill that's going through the legislature, it's important that everyone knows that Democrats had absolutely nothing to do with writing it or any part of the process. House Minority Leader Jennifer Conferst of Windsor Heights says, and so we don't know what's in the bill because we weren't asked to participate. I imagine there are some things in the bill we would do differently, so we're going to be paying close attention to that," she added. The bill would create a fellowship program for family medicine obstetricians to work for a year at a teaching hospital and then work at least five years in a rural or underserved area of the state. The state would pay the fellow salaries and the bills bill calls for fundra- funding four fellowships in the first year. There's a real shortage of OBGYNs in rural Iowa. You can definitely see that, said Diane Schumann, a lobbyist for the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is registered in support of the bill. This is one good step towards helping reverse that trend and providing more care to more Iowans in areas that don't have it. The lack of OBGYNs means that Iowans, especially in rural areas, have to travel sometimes up to hundreds of miles to get prenatal care, Schumann said. With a five-year requirement that doctors remain in the state, Schumann said the hope that fellows will settle in the state and stay long term. If a physician decides to set down roots in a rural area and start to practice for a beginning period of time in their career, then they will start to practice there longer, and they develop a bond and a relationship with the people out there that they're providing care for, he said. The bill would also expand Reynolds' more options for maternal support program passed last year to include initiatives that support men involved in a pregnancy, referred to as the Moms Program. It provides funding and resources designed to encourage childbirth and discourage abortion. The funding provided by the law Republicans passed last year goes to facilities that promote healthy pregnancies and childbirth instead of abortion often called crisis pregnancy centers, these facilities have been criticized by abortion rights advocates as misleading and not fully licensed medical facilities. According to the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, they often use false and misleading information, emotional manipulation, and delays to divert pregnant people from accessing comprehensive and timely care. Reynolds has asked the state Supreme Court to reinstate a 2018 law that would have banned abortion when cardiac activity is detected in a fetus, usually around the sixth week of pregnancy. Democrats opposed the BOMBS bill last year, in part because the money went to crisis pregnancy centers. This year's bills would bump up funding for the BOMBS program to $2 million. Adding fatherhood initiatives to the program, the State Health and Human Services Department would provide grants that helps fathers find employment, manage child support, transition after incarceration, and enhance parenting skills. Studies show that without a father present, a child is more likely to have behavioral issues, live in poverty, or die in infancy, Reynolds said during her Condition of the State address. With him, Those indicators and others are often reversed. Mothers are more likely to receive prenatal care, have a healthy birth, and experience less stress as a parent. One program that could receive state funding under the change is the YMCA of Greater Des Moines Fatherhood Program. The program helps absent fathers reconnect with their children and become a healthy presence in their lives, YMCA of Greater Des Moines CEO Leisha DeSmith said in a written statement we know that when fathers play an active role in their children's lives everyone benefits family economics improve kids do better in school mothers feel supported and fathers are motivated to be positive role models for their children she said Reynolds has taken another swing at a proposal she introduced in 2019 allowing pharmacists to dispense birth control without a prescription the provision would allow Iowans over 18 to skip a doctor visit to be given birth control pills vaginal rings or contraceptive patches, pharmacists would administer a screening to a patient who requests birth control, and patients would need to follow up with a physician within 27 months of being provided the birth control method. The bill passed the Senate in 2019, but did not advance. Grassley said he didn't know whether the proposal would have support of House Republicans this year. In the past, we've had mixed reviews within the caucus, but with that many new members, we really have not had that conversation to be able to gauge what the the entire opinion would be from all members, he said. Senate President Amy Sinclair, a Republican from Allerton, said she's supportive of the idea on this weekend's Iowa Press on Iowa PBS. It has been a priority of some of my colleagues in the Senate, and I think it will continue to be, she said. It's all part of that overarching view of women's health care that we've really been trying to focus on. Real Reynolds' bill also includes two provisions that are making their way through the legislature under separate bills creating a license system for rural emergency hospitals and capping non economic damages from medical malpractice lawsuits at one million dollars. Grassley said the House is likely to continue moving. Those provisions under separate bills and choose which provisions from Reynolds bill they want to move forward. Reynolds made capping non-economic damages a priority at the beginning of the session as well. She said during her condition of the state address that high lawsuit verdicts are driving medical school students graduates away from Iowa. Opponents argue that proposal puts an arbitrary limit on legal awards when someone suffers a long-term disabilities or quality of life damage from a medical procedure. In cases where things go catastrophically wrong, there has to be the ability of a jury or of peers to determine what the appropriate consequences of that decision are. Iowa Senate Democrat Leader Zach Walls of Coraville said Thursday. Other initiatives included in Reynolds' bill are providing paid, parental leave for state employees, requiring review and approval for group accident or health insurance policies, one million dollars in grants for regional health centers, providing subsidies for adoption expenses, lowering property taxes for commercial child care centers, providing flexibility for foster care students who receive an All Iowa Opportunity Scholarship. Storm Lake Woman Flown to Hospital After Friday Crash A storm-like woman was flown to a Sioux City hospital with injuries after a two-vehicle crash Friday in Buena Vista County. According to a minimal crash report from Iowa State Patrol, the crash happened at 6.20 p.m. at the intersection of Highway 71 and 600th Street. Ann Crewman. 40, was driving a 2022 GMC Terrain eastbound on the 600th Street and failed to yield at the right-of-way from the stop sign before her vehicle collided in the intersection with a 2021 Chevrolet Silverado which was driven by Michael Sly, 37, of Dallas Center, Iowa. Crumman was taken to Mercy One Siouxland Medical Center via Wings Air Ambulance. Alcohol is a suspected factor in the collision according to the State Patrol. Abu Bekar Shriners install 2023 Potentate. Abu Bekar Shrine Temple recently concluded its annual installation of officers at the Abu, Shrine, Abu Bakr Shrine Temple in Sioux City. Illustrious Sir Rich Porter was installed as Potentate for 2023. Elected Divan officers for 2023 include Colin Ross, Chief Rabban, Gary Jansen, Assistant Rabban, Dwight Dirk's High Priest and Prophet, Jeremy Robinson, Oriental Guide, Kent W. Colby, Treasurer, and Richard Dick Lindblom, Recorder. Porter is a lifelong resident of Sioux City, a graduate of Sioux City East High and Western Iowa Tech. He has worked for Sioux City Compressed Steel for over 30 years. Iowa Democrats elect Rita Hart as new leader. Rita Hart, a former candidate for Congress and lieutenant governor, and one of the last Democrats to represent a rural district in the legislature, was elected Saturday by her fellow Iowa Democrats to lead the party as it attempts to rebound from a string of poor election performances in the state. Elected to a two-year term during a virtual meeting of the Iowa Democratic Party's Leadership Committee, Hart assumes leadership of the state party as Democrats are reeling from poor election outcomes in 2014, 16, 20, and 22 in the state and as the party is fresh off its presidential caucuses being stripped of their enviable first-in-the-nation status. Hart, 66 of Wheatland, did not immediately speak after her election, but during her remarks ahead of the vote, pledged to focus primarily on winning elections in Iowa. In her candidacy letter to state party leaders, she highlighted a need for Democrats to raise much more more money in order to build a stronger campaign apparatus. Hart noted that she twice won elections in a state house district carried by Donald Trump and outperformed Joe Biden more than other Democratic congressional candidates. She said she has gained even more perspective on what it will take for Iowa Democrats to win elections again while serving as chair of the Clinton County Democrats over the past year. I've seen at a grassroots level the kind of support that our county parties need in order to work more effectively, Hart said. I'm under no illusions that this will be easy, and I know that it will take time, but I am heartened by the support that I've heard from the state party leadership committee and from folks across our state. Hart succeeds State Representative Ross Wilburn from Ames, who stepped down after serving as party chair for the past two years. Wilburn has was the first black Iowan to serve as a major party state chair. I know that we have made some important strides since January of 2021, even if it doesn't feel like it, Wilburn told party members during the meeting. We did our best to fight for a better future for every Iowan. Hart was selected over two other candidates, Brittany Ruland, 32, who moved to Iowa in 2019 to work on Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign and also worked on Eddie Mauer's Moreau's uh, U.S. Senate campaign in 2020, and Sarah Tron-Garriott's state legislative campaign in 2022. In the latter, Tron-Garriott defeated former Iowa Senate President Jake Chapman, and Bob Krauss, 73, a former state legislator who ran for the U.S. Senate nomination in 2010 and 2016 and for governor in 2014. Hart received 34 votes, Ruland 14, and Krauss one. Hart served in the Iowa Senate and was Democratic gubernatorial candidate Fred Hubble's running mate in 2018, losing to Governor Kim, Kim Reynolds and Lieutenant Governor Adam Gregg by three percentage points. Hart later lost her 2020 congressional race to U, Republican U.S. Representative Marinette Miller Meeks by a historically close six votes. Hart is now serving as chair of the Clinton County Democratic Party. In an email to members of the State Central Committee, Hart wrote that she has never previously considered leading the party, but that she cares deeply about Iowa Democrats' success. My focus is squarely on helping our party begin winning elections again. With that focus on winning in mind, I have worked to put together a series of proposals on the governance of our party and structure of staff that will put IDP's focus squarely on supporting our elected leaders and candidates for office, Hart wrote. The email included a document she called her Mandate for Change that emphasizes the need for the state party to raise money so they can adequately invest in candidates and amplify a statewide message, including hiring a staffer to manage online fundraising as part of a proposed small-dollar donor program. The plan also calls for hiring positions dedicated to content generation, digital and field organizing, and a data director to manage and improve the party's voters' database. Instead of starting with four organizers covering 20-plus counties each, we will begin with organizers having responsibility for only a couple of contiguous counties and responsible for working that turf, all off here aggressively, Hart wrote. This program will co- grow to cover more counties as more funding becomes available and serves as a pilot for an eventual 99-county year-round program. Hart proposed prioritizing smaller swing counties in a statewide race as well as counties that need additional capacity to grow, but have shown clear signs of committed leadership. As for the Democratic Iowa caucuses, Hart, during a virtual forum hosted by the Southwest Iowa Democrats, did not say whether she thinks the party should hold an unsanctioned caucus in defiance of the Democratic National Committee, as some have suggested. None of the three candidates for state chair during Saturday's meeting mentioned the caucuses during their remarks. State party members spent the first two hours of the meeting arguing over newly created constituency groups, one for Arab Americans and one for environmental and climate change issues that were not formally created and recognized in time to vote in Saturday's leadership election. We'll now move to the opinion page and we'll begin with the editorial from the Sioux City Journal. Thumbs up for early wine nelson appointments, thumb down for snap changes. Thumbs up. Congratulations to Rod Earlywine for being selected the next superintendent of the Sioux City Community School District. We hope your time in the region has proven advantageous to understanding what the district's needs are and what is necessary to spell success for its students. Thumbs up. Congratulations, too, to Mark Nelson, who was appointed to fill the Woodbury County Board of Supervisors seat left vacant when Rocky DeWitt resigned after being elected to the Iowa Senate. Nelson brings a rural perspective that should be helpful when dealing with matters important to those residents outside Sioux City. Thumbs down. In its haste to restrict items on the SNAP food assistance program, a legislative committee unwisely wanted to eliminate meat, flour, and other staples. Luckily, insiders say the meat's back in, but candy and soda are still on the chopping block. We're okay with that, but meat? Remember where we live. Thumbs up. Filed under, I hear the train a-comin'. Some legislatures want to limit the length of trains traveling through Iowa. If you've been stuck at a crossing for more than 15 minutes, you know how frustrating it can be. Adding restrictions could improve the situation, but it certainly won't address the need for enforcement. Local officials say there are restrictions. It's just a matter of enforcing them. And thumbs down. Colds, flus, and dare we speak it, COVID are still among us. Don't be cavalier with your health or others. If you're not feeling well, stay home, rest, get better. If you expose everyone to those germs, you're playing with fire and it could come back around. And we have two letters to the editor today. Today, first one is Terry. Dahlquist from Sioux City, and Terry writes, We are told that if public schools were better, there would not have been a need for this voucher law. I have worked in both public and private schools for years, and the difference is not staff, it's the students. Generally, private schools have motivated and well-educated kids because they get to pick, while public schools have no such option. To those of you considering private schools, particularly students who need special education training, your kids' experience may be no better than their present school. And this, again, was written by Terry Dahlquist of Sioux City. The next uh, letter is written by Jane Shuttleworth from Iowa City. And Jane writes... Congrats to Representative Randy Feenstra and Senator Chuck Grassley for supporting the bipartisan Rural Opioid Abuse Prevention Act, signed into law by President Biden last December. Rural Americans, they wrote in their recent editorial, need real solutions to the opioid epidemic. After explaining how the act will equip healthcare workers treat addiction, support first responders to save lives, and help the most vulnerable. They go on to say, we must also secure our wide open border, which welcomes and facilitates the drug trade into our country and down our main streets. Rural Americans also need the real truth about how illicit drugs enter the U.S. According to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection statistics, over 90% of illicit drugs enter the U.S. through legal ports of entry and the U.S. mail, not the wide swaths of border in between where additional barriers could be erected. This corroborates with intelligence received from arrested smugglers and law enforcement partners in Mexico. Cartels clearly prefer moving high-profit narcotics through the busy ports of entry because their chances of success are better there. Join me in asking our elected officials to invest taxpayer dollars where it will get the biggest bang for the buck. Go after fentanyl and other illegal drugs in the ports, not the desert. Quadruple the number of trucks and vehicles examined daily. Save lives. Again, this was written by Jane Shuttleworth from Iowa City. And now we have a few odds and ends from the uh, Iowa House, or the legislators, not just the House. Uh, House Republicans advanced a bill that would require Iowa's public universities' education colleges to create a report defining a list of terms that are taught in those colleges. Terms include culturally responsive classroom, anti-racist and anti-oppressive teaching and learning, and compulsory heterosexuality. Also, the lawmakers are considering a bill that would make it a crime to shoot and kill a black bear in Iowa. Black bears are not common in the state, but they occasionally wander in from neighboring states and the DNR expects their population will grow in the near future. Iowa lawmakers are also considering a constitutional amendment that would allow voters to recall an elected official. A petition with a set number of signatures would need to be filed before a special election would be held to recall the official. The amendment would need to pass in the legislature twice and pass a popular vote before becoming law. And tenure prohibition stalls in house. A proposal to prohibit tenure at Iowa's public universities will once again be shelved after the lawmaker who proposed it decided against advancing it. But in the Senate, a lawmaker who has proposed the measure in the past said he would introduce legislation that would require universities to more frequently review tenured faculty. And uh, and party leaders urged continued fight for caucuses. A bipartisan group of former party party leaders urged Iowa Democrats to continue fighting to keep Iowa's first-in-the-nation caucuses this week. Former Iowa Democratic Party Chairman David Nagel said Iowa Democrats should go first in the presidential nominating contest regardless of the calendar the National Party approves. The Democratic National Committee will meet next month to vote on a new calendar that excludes Iowa from the early window and they're expected to pass, pass the measure. And then Iowa's COVID-19 cases continued to fall in the week ending Wednesday. There were 1,566 new cases reported, down from 1,690 the previous week. There were 154 people hospitalized with COVID-19 in the state, down from 177 the previous week. You are listening to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Sunday, January 29th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. We'll now turn to today's obituaries. Jane Elizabeth Fallon, 81, passed away Monday, January 16th, at home in Litchfield Park, Arizona, surrounded by family and friends. She was formerly of Sioux City. Funeral service will be held Thursday, February 2nd at 2 p.m. at Christie Smith Funeral Homes, Morningside Chapel, 1801 Morningside Avenue, with burial to follow in Memorial Park Cemetery. A memorial service was held on Saturday, January 21st, at the church in Litchfield Park in Arizona. Jane was born November 9, 1941, in Lincoln, Nebraska, the daughter of A.C. Dick Dorman and Edna Larson Dorman. She graduated from Central High School in Sioux City in 1960, and attended Colorado Women's College. After one year, she transferred to Colorado University in Boulder, where she was an Alpha Phi and received a Bachelor of Science in Medical Technology in 1964. On July 31, 1964, Jane was united in marriage with Clifford B. Fallon in Sioux City, and they remained devoted to each other for 58 years. After marrying, they lived in Yuba City, California, where Jane worked as a medical technologist in the Sutter County Hospital until the birth of their son, Brad, in 1968. Six weeks later, the family moved to Minot, North Dakota, where her daughter Stacy was born in 1970. The spouse of a career Air Force officer, Jane, provided the home support as the family moved to Nebraska, Alabama, Colorado, and Washington. Jane was a constant school school volunteer while her children were in elementary school she was skilled in macrame and ceramics and kept a kiln in the garage for years jane taught ceramics to all the students in the local elementary school and she started a business teaching macrame and ceramics to adults that was called knots and pots after the family moved to Junta, colorado jane was a brownie leader a girl scout troop leader and served as the president of the pta while in spokane Jane earned a t- teaching certificate from Eastern Washington University in 1982. When the family moved to Moscow, Idaho in 1983, Jane, Jane began a long career teaching sixth grade. At the same time, she continued her education and earned a master's degree in gifted education from Whitworth College in Spokane. Jane always stressed the importance of education at home, and both of her children were high school valedictorians. Jane was devoted to her students and inspired them through hands-on learning, serving as Regional Coordinator for National History Day, Idaho State Director for Odyssey of the Mind, and Russell School Coordinator for Spelling and Geography Bees. She wrote the original grant to fund the Russell School 6th Grade Science Camp that led to the school board funding the camp for all 6th graders in the district the next year. In 1999, the National Board of Professional Teaching Standards approved Jane as a nationally certified teacher. She also served as president of the AFL chapter for foreign exchange students in Moscow, Idaho, and she was a chapter advisor for the Alpha Phi sorority at the University of Idaho. Following retirement in 2005, Jane loved to travel, spend time in the outdoors, and play golf. Once she even scored a hole-in-one. In retirement, Jane continued to volunteer for a variety of community and church activities. She also loved to visit her grandchildren as much as possible and cheer them at their various events. Jane was a devoted wife and mother and an outstanding teacher for 22 years. She positively influenced the lives of countless students and will be greatly missed by all who knew her. In lieu of flowers, the family requests that memorials in Jane's name be made to the Alzheimer's Association, First Presbyterian Church of Coeur d'Alene, or the church at Litchfield Park. Robert D. Tushla of Cherokee, 89, passed away on Tuesday, December 20th, twenty twenty two and at kura Healthcare in cherokee after a long struggle with dementia celebration of life will be at two p m on saturday february eleventh at greenwood schubert funeral home in cherokee a luncheon will follow the service burial will be at a later date bobby dean as he was known to his relatives was born on August 10, 1933, to Sylvester and Mary Rose Tuschla in Atkinson, Nebraska, the family farm north of town. Mary Rose passed away when Bob was 12. He attended country school and Atkinson St. Joseph's High School. Bob was a standout athlete for the Blue Jays, helping the basketball team make it to two state tournaments and placing in five individual events at the state track meet as a senior. Bob continued his education and athletic career at Wayne State Teachers College. He served in the United States Army from 1953 to 1955 and returned to Wayne, where he was a starter on the Wildcat basketball teams that twice played in the NAIA national tournament. Bob also once shared the college long jump record. He graduated with honors and went on to earn three master's degrees. Bob married. Gail Joan White on June 1, 1957, at St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Atkinson. The couple made their home in Bancroft, Nebraska, where he was a teacher, coach, and principal. During this time, his two sons, Tim and Tom, were born. In 1972, the family moved to Correctionville, Iowa, where Bob served as high school principal and a teacher at Eastwood High School. Upon his retirement, Bob and Gail moved to Estes Park, Colorado, and operated a gift shop. In 2003, the couple came back to Iowa to be closer to their grandson, Max. Gail served as caretaker for Bob as dementia progressed. She passed away in 2019. He was a woodworker, artist, photographer, and an avid Nebraska Cornhuskers fan. The Tulshoff family would like to sincerely thank the staff at Akura Healthcare for their wonderful care and compassion. Mark D. Bus Kneifel Jr., formerly of Newcastle, Nebraska, passed away January 25 at taylor hospice house in des moines everyone is invited to a brief prayer service at 11 a.m on saturday february 4th at saint peter's church before burial at the calvary cemetery in newcastle following the graveside service please join the family for lunch and sharing of memories at saint peter's hall after the burial this proud marine and vietnam vet was born on may 28 1945 the firstborn son of mark and gay knephel of newcastle Bus was Salatorian for the Newcastle High School Class of 63. He attended and played football for USD and Vermilion for two years before enlisting in the U.S. Marine Corps. He was stationed at Camp Lejeune and Camp Pendleton before spending 16 months in Vietnam. During two tours, he was awarded the Rifle Sharpshooter Badge, Vietnam Service Award, Vietnam Campaign Medal, and the Navy Achievement Medal with Combat V. After the service, Bus was employed in retail managing Woolworth stores and opening new stores for Walmart. He later retired from Pella Windows in Carroll, Iowa. You could always count on Bus to come home in the summer to fish at the river, in the fall to scare up some pheasants, find that big buck and lo- loudly cheer on his corn huskers, and come winter spend Christmas with his family. Bus was the son who always took care of his parents, the brother who carried his little brother up that big hill to school, the uncle who took the nephews hunting and fishing, and scored Cabbage Patch dolls for the nieces. We will never forget your love and dedication to country and family, Bus. Bus was a lifelong member of the American Legion, the Eagles Club in Vermilion, the NRA, and everything that supported the military. In 1986, he married Diane Wilson. They made their home in Scranton, Iowa. Diane became his amazing caretaker when Bus became ill. We will always be grateful for you, Diane. From the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for taking such good care of our brother and uncle. Because Buss was so passionate about his country, any memorials received will be given to the American Legion in his memory. Finally, as he closed out his letters home, Take it easy, Bus. Dr. Rose N. Holman, D.D.S., 75, Omaha, and formerly of Remsen, Iowa, passed away on Thursday, January 26, at the Heritage at Sterling Ridge in Omaha. Mass of Christian burial will be 10:30 a.m. Tuesday, January thirty first at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Remsen, with Father Timothy Pick officiating and Deacon Doug Heron assisting. Burial will follow at the St. Mary Cemetery in Remsen. Visitation with family present will be from 4 to 6 p.m. on Monday, January 30th. There will be a rosary and vigil prayer service at 5 p.m., all at Fish Funeral Home and Monument in Remsen. Visitation will resume on Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. at the Funeral Home. Services have been entrusted to Fish Funeral Home and Monument in Remsen. Rose was born on January 23, 1948, in Lamars, Iowa, the daughter of Gerald and Armella Pottebaum, Holman. She was raised in Remsen on the Holman Jersey Farm and received her education from Remsen St. Mary's High School, graduating in 1966. She received her diploma from St. Vincent Hospital of Nursing in Sioux City. Her BSN and MA from the University of Iowa School of Nursing in Iowa City. Rose worked as a nursing instructor at the University of Washington School of Nursing in Seattle, then attended the University of Washington School of Dentistry, and graduated with her DDS. She completed her dental residency in New York City, followed by a career at UCLA School of Dentistry in Los Angeles, where she served as faculty member, practitioner, and administrator. Upon her retirement, Rose moved to Omaha. She enjoyed traveling to many countries, notably Luxembourg. Genealogy Planting Flowers at the Opera and Broadway Touring Shows Memorials may be sent to remsen Saint Mary's School, five twenty three Madison Street in remsen, Iowa, five one o five o in memory of rose. Robert Gordon Pranger 83 South Sioux City passed away Thursday, January 26, at home surrounded by his family after a brief illness. Services will be held Tuesday, January 31st at 10:30 a.m. at St. Michael's Catholic Church in South Sioux City. Burial will be in St. Michael's Catholic Cemetery. Visitation will be Monday, January 30th from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. with a scripture rake service at 7 p.m. at Moran Becker-Hunt Funeral Home. Bob was born March 26, 1939, in Creighton, Nebraska, the son of Lawrence and Madeline Pranger. He attended Helan High School for two years and graduated from South Sioux City High School in 1957. He worked for Milk Dairy Products for two years before starting work on towers with Dick Jorgensen in 1960. He married Jane Stuhl on August 31, 1963 at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. They made their home in South Sioux City. He started his own business, Viking Erection Company, that same year. In 1964, they welcomed a daughter, Corinne Renee and in 1966 welcomed a son Robert Michael. Bob was a lifelong member of St. Michael's Catholic Church and a member of the Knights of Columbus in South Sioux City. Bob and three partners started the Sundown Lounge in the 70's when he owned and operated. Bob opened a retail sporting goods store by the name of Siouxland Sports in South Sioux City, later sponsoring a fast pitch softball team by the same name. This team went on to many state and national tournaments. John M. Cool, Sioux City 82 died Saturday January 28th. Arrangements are pending with Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel, Sioux City. Larry A. Daniel Sioux City, 72 died Tuesday January 17th. Services will be February 3rd at 2 p.m. at Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel. Charles Charlie Allen Kneppler, 69 Sioux City passed away peacefully Friday January 13th. A celebration of his life will take place from two to four p.m. on February fourth at country celebrations in Sioux City, with a remembrance around three p.m. Charlie was born January thirtieth, nineteen fifty-three, in Sioux City to James C. and Barbara Knepfle. Charles, usually known as Charlie, spent his adolescence in Sioux City. Eventually. Graduating from Central High School as class president in 1971. From there, his continuing education brought him to Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, Oklahoma, focusing on a degree in business. He graduated from the university in 1975. It was in college where Charlie was introduced to the love of his life, Christine Christie Ann Kingdom. Charlie and Christie were married in Tulsa on January 31, 1976. Throughout Charlie's early years in college, he would return to Sioux City for the summers where he would work as a sales associate for Kidder Kinderkneftler company. After graduation from OSU and a short stint in the Twin Cities, Charlie and Christy moved to Sioux City in 1977 where Charlie began a long and successful career working in the family business. I was scared to death, Charlie later said. I didn't want to be the boss's kid. Employees had a half hour for lunch. My first morning... I took lunch at 11.30 and proceeded to eat my salmon rapidly and went back to work within 10 minutes. One of the guys the next day said, Kid, you're making us look bad. Eat your lunch. In the summer of 1989, Charlie took over as dealer operator for Kinefler Chevrolet, becoming co-owner with his brother Bill a couple of years later. Throughout the Years, Charlie was involved in numerous organizations. He was on the board of the Iowa Auto Dealers Association, Hawkeye Life, Chamber of Commerce, Boys and Girls Club, United Way, Rosecrans Jackson Recovery, Drug Court, as well as several other local and regional entities. Charlie could warm a room with his positive attitude and radiant smile. He was a born leader. Even from the early age, he was graciously referred to as the General by neighborhood kids. His life was ultimately curtailed by a 20-plus year battle with Parkinson's disease. Though throughout the prognosis and the complications that followed, Charlie never lost his sense of optimism and drive to be the best husband, father, and friend possible. He touched many lives in his 69 years on this earth. In lieu of flowers, the family request memorials be donated to a charity of your choosing. Marilyn Jean Van Houten, Whiting, Iowa, 79, died Monday, January 23rd. Services will be January 31st at 11 a.m. at the Skeen Lutheran Church in Alberton, Iowa. Burial will be following services at the Fairview Township Cemetery in Alberton. Visitation will be January 30th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the church. Arrangements with Gossler Funeral Home and Monuments, Ottawa, Iowa. Recording of the service available at the funeral Home website. Carol Idsel, Archer, Iowa, 78, died Thursday, January 26. Services will be 1030 at, on February 2nd at Archer United Methodist Church in Archer. Burial will be at the Pleasant Hill Cemetery in Primgar. Visitation will be from 5 to 7 p.m. February 1st at the Eldridge Funeral Home in Primgar. Connie F. Borkowski, Barkas, Iowa, 58, died Monday, January 23rd. Services will be 11 a.m. February 2nd at Climbing Hill Baptist Church in Climbing Hill. Arrangements are with the Waterbury Funeral Service of Sioux City. Judd Grove Butler, formerly of Sioux City, 91, died Wednesday, January 25th. Services will be February 1st at 2 p.m. at the Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel in Sioux City. Burial will be private at the Oakwood Cemetery in Casey, Iowa. Visitation will be one hour prior to service time at the funeral home. Robert H. Dolphin, 71, Sioux City, passed away Friday, January 27th, at Saint Luke's Hospital in Sioux City. Memorial service will be at 11 a.m. Thursday, February 2nd, at Meyer Brothers Morningside Chapel in Sioux City. Visitation will be one hour prior to the service. Interment will be at a later date. Robert was born November 29, 1951, to Henry and Catherine Dolphin in Sioux City. He graduated from East High School in 1970. Robert later on decided to go to Western Iowa Tech Community College for electronic engineering. Robert married his best friend, Jean Anderson, on January 14, 1972, in Sioux City. To this marriage, they had two amazing boys. He worked for his father for numerous years at Siouxland Vault Company and also worked at Knopfler Chevrolet. Robert opened up his own business repairing cars as an auto body technician for the remainder of his life. You could always find Robert listening to music or doing some carpentry. As a young man, Robert chose to follow Jesus. His zeal and love for God were deepened as he passed through recent experiences of life. He radiated joy and contentment as a result. He will be truly missed by family and friends. Richard Baker, Moville, Iowa, 76, died Monday, January 23, celebration of life at a later date. Arrangements with Waterbury Funeral Services of Sioux City. Donna D. Peterson, Evanston, Illinois, formerly of Sioux City, 69, died Saturday, January twenty first. services are pending with Meyer Brothers Morningside Chapel. South Sioux City Boys Back to Winning, Interstate Rankings for the First Time. South Sioux City boys' basketball fortunes sagged in recent years. After winning three Class B titles in four years, the Cardinals are ten years removed from the the 2013 title, eight years removed from their last winning season in 2015. Nelson Wilson is trying to restore their glory. The second-year coach has the Cardinals at 9-7. They were 9-14 in his first season. South Sioux reached the finals of the River Cities Conference Tournament, beating Class B, number three Omaha Ronikali, 69-62 at home, then losing 89-57 at number one Omaha Scott. But after a week in which every ranked team in Class B but Scott lost, the Cardinals are number eight in the Omaha World Herald's rankings released Monday. It's the whole culture thing, Wilson said. And just our guys understanding that you don't change culture in one season. It's a progression thing. You know, the unfortunate thing for juniors and seniors, they are part of the foundation and they won't get to see the finished product until they're in college and they're coming back and they're looking back. But they're a huge part of why we are where we're at. The blowout loss stung his players. In the locker room, Wilson was hearing that being runner-up a second place wasn't what they wanted. It's great to hear, right? But I also had to make those guys understand that South Sioux has not been in the position to play for the RCC championship in a long time. So to come from where we were at, even last season to this season, that's a huge compliment to the guys and in the work and the sacrifice they're willing to put in. The Cardinals have been led by seniors Anthony Earth, who's averaging 21 points a game, and Manny Paul, who had 16 rebounds and 10 blocks in the Roncalli win. South Sioux's lineup got a boost, as two starters are to come back last week from injuries. Carson Cavillo, a senior, played Monday night at Hartington Cedar Catholic in a makeup game that is the final of the Fremont Bergen's holiday tournament. The Cardinals beat Cedar, the number two ranked team in Class C 2, 57 54. Alexander Ardley, Jr. was set to return to the lineup last Thursday when South Sioux City traveled to Elkhorn, Mount Michael. The Knights tripped up the Cardinals, 57-52. The Cardinals next play Thursday when they travel across the Veterans Memorial Bridge to face Sioux City West. And we'll continue with um, high school basketball, uh, moving to girls, Siouxland girls basketball. Four Bishop-Helan girls scored in double figures as the Crusaders rolled to an 87-50 win over their crosstown rival Sioux City West Friday night. Jada Newberg led with 17 points, followed by Brooklyn Stanley with 16, Kenley Mice and Abby Lee 13 each, and Lauren Lafleur 12. Vera Grome led West with 18 points, Kea Davis added 15, and Berg had 12 for the Wolverines, who fell 6-9 overall. Healand ranked number four in Iowa Class 4A, improved to 12 2 overall. And then Sioux City East, 61, Glenwood, 55. Sergeant Bluff Luton, 57, Council Bluffs, Abraham Lincoln, 45. Kingsley Pearson, 54, OABCIG, 31. Westwood, 70, Lawton Bronson, 28. Unity Christian, 64, Trinity Christian, 19. Lamar's Galen Catholic 59, South O'Brien 39, Akron Westfield 33, Harris Lake Park 31, Newell Fonda 70, South Central Calhoun 43. And now we move to Siouxland Boys Basketball. Darren Meyer scored 18 points and pulled down seven rebounds to lead the West Lion boys in double figures as the Wildcats knocked off top ranked Central Lion in a thriller 56 55 Friday night. Carson Hugiven added 16 points, and Devin Van Wright added 13 for West Lion, which improved to 11-3 overall and 10-3 in the Sioux Line Conference. First-team All-State returnee Zach Lutmer led the Lions with 27 points. Andrew Austin added 13 for Central Line, which suffered its first loss of the season, falling to 12-1 overall and 11-1 in the Conference, a game ahead of MOC Floyd Valley. Central Lyon, the state runners-up in Class 2A last season, remained number one in the Iowa High School Athletic Association's weekly ranking released on Monday. And then for other scores, Sioux City East 75, Sioux City North 47, Bishop Heelan 91, Sioux City West 75, Lamar's Galen Catholic 79, South O'Brien 54, Hinton 53, Hartley Melvin Sanborn 51, Sioux Central, 53, East Axit County, 31, Sheldon, 63, Sibley Shaden 49. And we'll now move to Dear Abby. Dear Abby, I am an active widower with five grown children. Although three of them live in the same city and two live in a city nearby, I have not heard from or seen them as often over the past few years as I would like. I realized recently that I miss their company and I'd like them to call or see me more often. I understand that they have their own lives, but I don't think I'm asking too much. I'd like them to understand that a pill won't cure me of loneliness, as they suggest when I try to tell them I am slowing down. Their answer is to tell me to see a doctor. I can't talk to them about increasing our visits and communication because I was raised with the idea that you automatically respect your elders and parents should not have to ask their children to visit them or call to ask how they're doing more than every few months. I thought perhaps reading this in your column might remind them not to wait until it's too late. Have you any suggestions on how to encourage my children to involve me more in their lives? Signed, Lonely in Colorado. And Abby responds, You don't have a communication problem. Your children have gotten the message. Rid yourself of the idea that your children should call you out of obligation. If you want more contact, pick up the phone and call them. Also, you should be socializing with contemporaries. Your problem may be too much time on your hands. If you are able-bodied, fill some of the time by volunteering in your community. It's a terrific way to meet people who may be more than willing to include you in their activities. Dear Abby, I have two younger sisters. The middle one is my best friend next to my husband. The youngest is a nightmare. She's manipulative and nasty, and nothing is ever good enough for her. She is a cancer survivor and no longer able to live by herself. My middle sister has been bending over backward to help her in significant ways, managing her insurance and finding a nursing home for her to live in. But neither of us will allow her to live with us. She is too destructive, controlling, and toxic. Our sister has now decided the nursing home is not good enough. She is talking about going to live with a friend in another state. The friend has tentatively agreed. My middle sister and I both believe her friend has no idea what she is letting herself in for and that her life is going to be taken over by my youngest sister. I believe the right thing for me to do would be to call the friend and warn her not to allow my younger sister to come live with her, but that seems like a terrible thing to do to my younger sister. What should I do? Signed, Sister Drama in the West. And Abby responds, What you should do is stay out of it. Your sister has resumed control over her life. Bravo. Whether or not it pans out, the outcome will be her responsibility. If in the coming months her friend rolls up the welcome mat, the alternative for your sister will be the nursing facility. Period. And that does it for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Sunday, January 29th. I am your reader, Dagna. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And thank you for listening.